Last week, we shared that our staff and elder board team decided we will not be reopening in-person services for the rest of 2020. Though we feel at peace with this decision, we share in the sadness of being separated and the isolation and challenges that this season has brought. We miss seeing you, our church family, every week and coming together to worship God. We have a more full update to share with you, including the deeply encouraging ways that God has shown us his faithfulness in this season. You can find that at regenerationweb.com reopening. Hello, Regeneration. Uh, during this time of sheltering in place, I've heard from some of you that you've grown spiritually. I just had lunch recently uh, with a person of our church sharing about how his family has grown tremendously during this time. They're journaling together, praying together, and uh, it's been a really, really great time for them spiritually. And others of you, this has been a pretty discouraging time, and spiritually, uh, you've been down. And so as we look at our scripture verses this morning, I direct your eyes to verse 18, to having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Paul was pretty concerned for the Ephesian believers' well-being, their spiritual well-being, even though they had the scriptures before them. Similarly, I'm concerned for your spiritual well-being, even though you have the Bible. I'm concerned that some of you may be so isolated that you're not in community at all, and the current shelter-in-place orders allow up to three households to get together. And so a couple of elders uh, got together with the uh, Kylie Co. house this past week for fellowship and to break bread and pray. And what we find in Acts 2.42, what we talk about there, and it's really beautiful to see that that is still happening. I bring this up because... Thanksgiving is coming up in a couple of weeks, and I wanted just to take this opportunity to encourage those within our church to reach out to one or two households whom you feel safe to invite over for fellowship, to break bread, to pray. Now, of course, devoting ourselves to the study of God's Word is important, as shown in Acts 2.42. Studying in solitude is, is very important in terms of a spiritual discipline. It's just something we can do without too many obstacles today. We can continue to do that. But being together, being together in community, this has become an obstacle for, for many of us. So for the spiritual health, emotional health, mental health of those in our church family, I encourage you to reach out to one or two households those you feel safe to have fellowship, break bread, pray with over Thanksgiving. And, and just a little plug from me to extend love and care for one another over the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, back in verses 1 through 14, the past several weeks we've been looking through those verses, we're given this beautiful exposition of salvation that, that praises God and, and what God has, has done. And when we get to verse 15, it, it 
transitions to a prayer. A prayer reflecting on what God has generously and graciously given to believers. This is something Paul really, really wants us to understand and to realize. He wants us to know chapters 1 through 3 before we do anything, chapters 4 through 6. He wants us to know who God is, why God did what he did, and and what God did for us. And now you notice that we're not told to do anything yet. Paul just really wants us to see God for who he is, to have the eyes of our hearts enlightened. Take a look at verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Paul heard about the Ephesian church about how sincere they are about their faith in in the Lord Jesus and their love toward one another. They have faith in God and they love people. Now it's not just faith in anything. He's pointing out in in the Lord Jesus in who they have faith in that the believer's faith is grounded in Jesus Christ, not in faith in itself or faith in something else, But in Jesus, where where our trust and our loyalty are placed on Christ alone. They had faith in the Lord Jesus and they had love toward all the saints. Believers that they knew as well as believers that they didn't know. And whatever these believers' differences were, they still loved each other. That they could trust to be in prayer for one another, lifting up our prayers in support of one another, faith in the Lord Jesus and toward each other love, which is a wonderful thing for the church to be known for. Let's take a look at verses 16 through 18. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Our knowledge of these things is very important. We are to be thinking people who consider the facts Paul has laid before us to know who Jesus is, what Jesus did, why he did it, to know where Jesus is now and and the good things he has done for our future. The work of God the Father by the Spirit of God to bring the blessings made available to us through the Son of God, Jesus Christ, so that the people of God can be everything God has made us to be. But what does this mean for us when there are practical needs that need to be met right now? Well, it wasn't all that different for the Ephesian church. The Ephesian church was a minority group called to live holy lives in a very ungodly world. Just like us. And they, like us, were surrounded with many things, pulling them, tempting them away from God. Have we become too comfortable with the things of the world that we're not supposed to be partaking in as holy people? 
See, the Ephesians, they worshipped Diana. And there, w- w- there were plenty of sexually erotic things all over the city that was available to them 24-7 every day of the week. Much like today. And Christians are, are called to holiness in Jesus. What are we going to do when we have all of these things around us that tempt us, pull us away from holiness? How are we going to relate to friends and family, co-workers who aren't of the same belief? How are we going to bring up our children in this world? You see, what we deal with today isn't all that different from what the Christians in Ephesus dealt with. What do we do? We have to know Jesus. We need wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. To have the eyes of our hearts enlightened that we may know what is the hope to which God has called us. Verses 17 and 18. And you notice that the prayers aren't for healing or prosperity or some other type of prayer. These prayers are kind of specific in what they're asking for. Look at verses 16 through 18 again. Remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. One of the problems of the church today is that we're looking to be really, really practical, to apply our faith in very practical ways. And sometimes it's, it's just overly practical. Because we're, we're looking to do something. We're looking for those chapters 4 through 6 to do before we have this solid foundation of chapters 1 through 3 where we receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. We really need to know God. We really need to know the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Now some people may argue that's not practical. But you see, for the believer, without this knowledge, we're still going to experience negative events. And each negative event that we experience will just come and go without the knowledge of God. Without knowing what God is like. And so what is God like? Take a look at Exodus chapter 34 starting in verse 6. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. We need to know these things as we pray, as we act. God isn't a genie present just to answer to our wishes and and our wants and what we think is good. Otherwise, we risk becoming like that spoiled kid who just uses their parents to get them what they want. How are we to live as people with a knowledge of God? Jump over to Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There are things for us to know. And there are things that are listed here, starting in verses 18, for us to know. And so, let's take a look at all three of these, and then we'll break them down. It starts in verse 18. That you may know, the first one, what is the hope to which he has called you. That you may know, the second one, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And that you may know, the third one, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. See, hope is knowable. Sometimes people are, are thinking like, oh, hope is knowable. It's one of those things, you know, you can't really grab onto it. It's not tangible. But hope is knowable. It's, it's, an, it's an assurance. It's an assurance of, of a reality that we just haven't fully experienced yet. Now, in the case of God, we've been brought into his promises of hope, and, and we can have security in God's promise. He has proven his trustworthiness over and over and over again, and, and that's not in any doubt. You can read the scriptures and throughout history how God has been trustworthy to his word. And we have promises, promises like in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Like Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Knowing God is more than just intellectual. It's also visceral. It's to be experienced. It's both objective and it's subjective. Think about this. We're all going to die. Where is your hope for you? And where is the hope for your loved ones? The Christian's hope is in the resurrected Jesus Christ. That we're assured of a reality that we're not fully yet experiencing. Ephesians chapter 2 starting in verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Do you have this knowable hope today? Is this you? Are you the person our verses are speaking to today? Have the blessings God has given in Jesus Christ taken hold of your mind and your heart that they've become knowable to you? The Christian's confidence in life and death is grounded on the work and on the person of Jesus Christ. 
if, if not this hope, then what else do you have? When, when each one of us dies, and we all will, we will all meet God. Each one of us then remains in the presence of God, which is heaven, or you will be absent from God, which is hell. God is one who seeks and saves the lost. But God is not typically one who will force himself upon people. He has made every person a provision to be with him. Heaven. Through Jesus Christ. He, he loves every person that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take our judgment so that we can be with God for everlasting. But you have to believe. You know that we all die. We all die. And so what's the alternative? You've got one opportunity to be in the presence of God, heaven, through Jesus Christ. And every other way leads to this absence of God, which is hell. You already know that everyone dies. And that that day is a final day physically. And then the judgment upon you, spiritually, will be one that is fair. It will be one that is just. And this is the scary part. You've had your entire life to live for this final day, your death day. And every one of us, if we are completely honest, to, to have everything in our life judged in fairness and, and justice is, is really frightening. Everything, everything in your entire life before an all-knowing God who sees everything, every thought we've had, every motive, every feeling, emotion, action, everything in our entire life until that day of death, fully disclosed, nothing hidden. Are any of us innocent? I don't think so. I, I, I highly doubt it. I think all of us are guilty. And we already know death is for sure. There's no doubt about it. It's guaranteed. Why, why do we take life insurance policies out? You know it's going to happen. You, you know that death is going to happen. And maybe you guys don't have like the universal life, but if you have a, a family, you at least have a type of life insurance policy. If you, if, and if you don't, then that's just not a wise decision. You at least get a, a term life policy, one that's long enough that your kids become adults and then you don't have to worry about it anymore or, or that pays off your, your family's biggest expenses so that you don't leave your family with expenses that they can't afford on their own. You, you have to because it's the wise thing to do. And why do you take that policy out? Because you know that you can die at any time. Just because you're healthy and young doesn't mean you can't die. We all do. And the only way to face the wrath of God and judgment is, is through faith in Jesus Christ for our forgiveness and salvation. It's the wise thing to do. Take a look at Revelation 6, starting in verse 15. 
Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? There's no other way out of God's wrath other than the divine plan God has already put in place through Jesus Christ, who bore our deserved wrath upon himself on the cross, then resurrecting from the grave to give us everlasting life through his grace. And the Christian believes this. There is faith and there is hope in this. And you see, faith, faith is a active decision. It's a, it's a decisive action. There's, there's a starting point for everyone in regards to faith. There's a choice to believe, to trust, and, and there's a choice to keep the faith in Jesus Christ. If you don't have this faith, hope, trust, belief in Christ, You'll be part of that group I just read about in Revelation 6. There is nowhere to hide from God. The only way of salvation is in God. And if you're alive today, today is the day for you to believe so that God, back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, so that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. You are going to experience everlasting no matter what. You will live in the presence of God for everlasting, which is heaven, or you will live everlasting in the absence of God, which is hell. And without Christ, you will wish to be non-existent. You'll wish that death was permanent and that you can just switch yourself off. But you can't. You're, you're made to be an everlasting being. And without Christ, you'll be in this everlasting absence of God. Just wishing that you just wouldn't exist anymore. For eternity. And God reconciled the world to himself through Jesus Christ. And everyone is invited to receive this gift of reconciliation. Take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 starting in verse 18. All this is from God. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Where's your faith in Christ today? Have the eyes of your heart enlightened to know what is the hope to which you have been called. And then let's move to the second thing to know. 
what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. We read of inheritance back in verse 14 last week. It reads, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This inheritance is guaranteed to be ours, but, but we don't have it yet. There's, there's much more to come with it. And you can plug the word inheritance into a concordance and you'll find that Paul reminds us of inheritance. One of these places is, is in the book of Colossians. He, he reminds the church in Colossae, in Colossians 1, about this inheritance. You'll find that Peter does the same thing. Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 does the same thing, reminding his readers about inheritance. It's something that both Paul and Peter wanted to get across to the believers in Jesus Christ, constantly reminding them of this inheritance. Now, if you want to hear more about this inheritance, you can listen to last week's message, and I'll move to the third item to know in our verse today, in verse 19. To know, number three, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. The Ephesian church knew, one, the hope to which God called them. Called, you'll notice, is in the past tense. This was something in the past. They also knew, number two, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And as we just really briefly covered, that is a guaranteed inheritance that we don't have yet. It's something in the future. So here's something, the hope that was called, we already have that. And then the inheritance, something in the future. And now we have this third thing that they knew. The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. And this is something they experienced in the present. They are believing right now in the present just like us. What is this immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? What is that? And I, I understand that this is really hard for many of us to relate to, including myself, because this amount of power, I mean, that immeasurable? Because what we do really know about it is weakness. We, we can relate to that. We, we know already that we all die. There, there's no stopping aging and, and getting weaker. We all know what it feels like to be tempted by something that is more powerful than we are. We know what failure feels like. We've all felt these feelings of being overwhelmed and anxiety and fear, regret, worry, concern. None of us are immune to these Feelings that show us that we are in fact not powerful. But then Paul points out that we are to know, verse 19, what is the measurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the work of his great might. We looked at verse 7 a couple of weeks ago. That in Jesus we, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. And pointed out that it's not out of his riches, but it's according to his riches. And here in verse 19, it's the same thing again. According to the working of his great might. Meaning, it is limitless. It is limitless. There, there are no bounds. There, there is no rationing of it. it it's not out of this. It, it's just that he has it. And we can read of this immeasurable greatness of his power in verses 20 and 21. But we'll, we'll just cover 20 and we'll save 21 for next time. Verse 20. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the, his right hand in the heavenly places. Immeasurable greatness of his power 
in the resurrection. Now we'll look at the last verses next week, but they do further tell us of this immeasurable greatness of his power. See how all of this that we're learning is more than just simple, practical application and actions. It's not telling us to do anything yet. This is all about knowing God, knowing that we are weak and that we are finite while God is immeasurable in his greatness of his power. Now, now how else can we have trust and faith in God? Because would we have trust and faith in a powerless God? See, when we're honest with ourselves and we know that we are depraved and powerless, we can look to truth. We can look outside of ourselves for something bigger than ourselves. We can look to God and not be self-reliant or reliant on fallible people. The resurrection of Jesus is core to our belief as Christians. It's truth. It has never been disproven. How can anyone explain the spread of Christianity from this seemingly defeated weak group of believers? Their, their boldness and power from someone like Peter who just went back to fishing. And it's because of verse 19. The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the work of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. God raised all of these believers from weakness. And without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. There is no gospel. It's only because of God's immeasurable greatness of his power. It's not because of the power within the people. It's the power of God. The power of God to, to resurrect the dead and also to exalt. Look at verse 20. He raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. This is speaking of the ascension. And that Jesus is back to his rightful place where he came from. The ascension is significant because it shows that Jesus Christ's sacrifice was accepted. And his immeasurable greatness of his power is, is shown. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 10 starting in verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. It is done. Finished. Nothing else needed. Jesus went back to him who sent him. Jesus ascended. The Holy Spirit was given with the gifts to do everything the church was commissioned to do. And the ascension of Jesus also has Jesus preparing a place for us and to fulfill his promise of returning for us. Take a look at John chapter 14 starting in verse 1. Let your hearts not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. When we know these things, 
changes us. Changes us. We don't get caught up in all these worldly arguments. Jesus' name is above every name. And we realize there are these powerful forces that we, we can't see, but Jesus is, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. We'll talk more about that next week. But that's our God. We're running out of time, so I need to kind of accelerate a little bit. What is Jesus doing now? He is preparing a place for us. He is upholding the entire universe. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is also ruling from a throne of mercy and grace. Jump to Hebrews 4, starting in verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What does knowing these three things do for us? The first thing is, what is the hope to which he has called you? The second thing to know, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And then the third, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? What does that do for us? Hopefully, instills in us confidence, assurance of who we are. To give us this immense amount of confidence and assurance that God is with us and he is for us. Confidence that we are empowered by God. Confidence that we have God-given purpose in this world. And knowing these things then will become a solid foundation for us to have this call to action. Chapters 4 through 6. But we need to know this. We need to know this so that we are empowered, emboldened, equipped, have this confidence and assurance by God to do these things. Do what things? Well, we have a long time to get through chapters 4 through 6, but I, I just want to summarize it with the Great Commission. Take a look at Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Everyone needs to know Jesus because Jesus is the only one with authority and power to forgive sin. And sin separates people from God. The forgiveness of sin is only found in Jesus. It is in no one else. It is nowhere else. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may we be secure in knowing these things. May we be secure in knowing what is the hope to which you have called us the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, the, 
the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe. And may you fill us, Lord, with this knowledge so that it is a solid foundation for us to be light and salt to our world, a world that is very divided, a world that is at war, that has a hard time coming together peacefully. And Lord, would you help us to be sent out as those peacemakers to reconcile those separated from you to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your communion elements, uh, let's take those out now. And let's first take out the bread, symbolizing the body of Christ broken for us. How glorious a symbol that Jesus Christ has left us. That right before he died on the cross and he broke this kind of foreshadowing what they would be doing to him during the Passion. But drawing us in communion. And so may we take this to the glory of God in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. The fruit of the vine symbolizing the blood of Jesus spilled for us. And although Jesus did die, he resurrected and ascended and he is rightfully on his throne now, preparing a place for us. And he will return for us. And this is the symbol he gave us to continue taking part in this communion until his return. Let us take this in his name. Lord Jesus, thank you for this sacrament, this constant reminder that we aren't forgotten, that we have an everlasting hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen.